and recording. Welcome to TBT with Grace and Emma. A podcast on the millennial generation and how we came to be. On this week's episode, we talk about stickers. Stickers! We also talk about millennials and divorce. And we throw a couple fashion TBTs your way. Fashionistas. (laughs) That we are. (laughs) I'm Emma. And I'm Grace. Thanks so much for listening. You're recording? Yeah. <laughs> How's it nice. going, Emma? Grace. Hi. Hi. It's nice to hear your voice. Uh, again, coming from the inside of a phone booth at a WeWork. You know, I um, I just want to give give you a lot of props for working this out. Emma and I both have worked so much lately so again <laughs> like we didn't we really had no capacity to record an episode last week um thank goodness we had that listener mail emma oh i know don't you Thanks know listeners. yep yep and especially a baby boomer Ooh. wow wow dang showing up hooray for Thanks. that thanks active yeah. listeners um, 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 so Emma, so Grace, I, I have, <laughs> I have <laughs> one article I found this week in my millennial article deep dive was an article yeah. that suggested that Jesus was the first millennial. <laughs> meant to be provocative i think it was meant to... oh wait a, a, an article about millennials <laughs> was meant to be provocative i yeah, know yeah. i know it's wild okay, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. um but the the crazy thing so it was it was also like yeah i guess a different millennium than the one that you're thinking of but he like wears sandals and sleeps on people's couches oh. I know. So, anyway, thoughts? I have some. <laughs> were you, were you, yeah, in case you were wondering, I do have some thoughts. Well, the first thought is, I reject, because we started this entire podcast on the premise that millennials were born between 1982 <laughs> and about 1993. The Pew Research Center would not stay after this. They would not. And I stand behind the Pew Research Center. Yeah. And if we don't have a clear definition for millennials, then what do we have? And here's the other thing I want to say about it, which is, I think this just is, this is part of the issue of, like, we act as if millennials are defined by trends, but really we are defined by an age group that exists at a certain period of time mm-hmm. and those trends that correspond with that certain period of time are important for us to notice but they do not 
fully define us. Yeah. They influence us, but they don't define us. Yeah. I mean, and another element of this is, like, we're saying that generations are... Def- I, it's so, It's just, like, such a silly, ridiculous hypothetical, because <laughs> what's critical to generations is the unique experiences that happen during their developmental period. So, um... So much in common with Jesus. I know. I just thought that was that was so <laughs> thought provoking. <laughs> source on that? Um, what is the source? I is really that someone's Facebook post. It was it like from a Twitter feed. I mean, it was like a religious blog. I think. <gasps> Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to drive traffic toward the religious blog. Yeah. And sure enough, they got you. Another thing that I was reading about today was um, the revival of stickers for marketing. To read a quote from the article, which of course I should pull up and say what it is. But these days, customers want to personalize and express themselves, and stickers, along with pins, etc., are great ways to add customization to a jacket, backpack, or phone case. As customers customize, their products with stickers, they're choosing which brands they want as part of their lifestyle. And this is from a Vox article called Why Do So Many Millennial Brands Think Adults Want Stickers? Which is by Oset Babur, which is exactly why I clicked on it, because I was like, yeah! Why does everyone give me a free sticker? Have you have you what had you that think? happen? Have you had that, like, have you seen that what? yourself? Have you been Where bribed the for brand comes with stickers? Yeah, have you bri- been bribed by brands with stickers? Uh, I just don't think it ever ended, and I think this person is finally just paying attention. Mm, tell me more. So you don't think this is like playing on the nostalgia of the millennial? No, I don't. Here's why: I think that stickers have been a marketing tactic from the beginning of time and will continue throughout time. Maybe time is generous time frame but like I don't- okay so the the quote that i read was from ju ryu who is the ceo and co-founder for hero cosmetics mm-hmm. um they're the ones that made that <laughs> that patch the the acne patch you just like put this patch on your pimple and then you go to sleep and you wake up and it like has sucked all the juices out of it oh yeah Ooh. but i will say i i endorse it it's um it really helps. I believe yeah. Yeah. So now they have stickers? Yeah, so they had, like, they decided to, to include these stickers that say, Be Mighty, in their early shipments. And mm-hmm. they feel like it, it, like, helped them blow up. Like, this sort of, it's it seems like a low-cost way to get people to, to like, see your brand I feel like swag in general is such a, such a, I see it a lot in Silicon Valley. Yeah. Right? Like people giving out backpacks or, I don't know, company, company phone cases. How many times, Emma, have you gotten one of those like credit card stickers for the back of your phone? I hate those. Like why would I want to, why would I want a Wells Fargo (laughs) credit card (laughs) holder for my phone? call from a certain baby boomer 
I do think that it lends itself well to this personalization piece because people do like people do like to personalize their their belongings. <laughs> what is that? I mean, even well, think about that word belonging. Yeah. But like how how personalized is it for me to put a yeah. sticker on something like that makes me feel so part of a mainstream brand that's true i don't know like i like these are all very mainstream brands that are trying to take advantage of personalization mm. but we know that once the mainstream brand participates in personalization it's not personalized anymore yes i guess there's different purposes right there's like the purpose of identifying with people who have done something similar and then there's the purpose of signaling to people your own I mean I'm sort of like taking the pessimistic view of kind of like the accomplishment mm-hmm. right it's like when people put the college that they went to on their car are they doing it as a way of connecting with other people uh, who share yeah. that experience or are they doing it as a way of signaling their whatever they would associate with that university usually it's something along the lines of prestige and exclusivity though not always mm-hmm. so are you doing it as a way of connecting or are you doing it as a way of distinguishing yourself or both like it doesn't yeah. have to be either or so stickers yeah <laughs> not sure i have like a fully formed opinion but i do think like we also know that yeah we know we're buying don't we know we're buying into a marketing campaign? Don't we know that? When we wear stickers? Right. I would I would think so. That's probably why I don't um have any stickers. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. When was the last time you really got excited about some stickers? Um, I feel like my mom once gave me um a book of Gemma Carell stickers. Do you know that illustrator? No. She's a great, she does a lot of, like, herself and her pug, um, but she has this, like, period activity book. <laughs> oh my god. I was excited about the stickers in it. It's like a sticker that's like, you, like, good job for, like, making it through today kind of stuff. Oh. Yeah. I love that. Yep. Yep. So, and I but here I am. Is- What's the signaling power of a Gemma Carell sticker? <laughs> My most memorable experience with stickers was when, do you know how Cosmo Girl, R.I.P., used to have the sticker, um, sticker insert in the middle of, like, literally just, like, of a boy? No. <laughs> oh, my God. They would, like, feature... A boy, a, a boy or a man, in many cases. Uh-huh. And at one time, they featured Fred Durst, and wow. this girl took that shit and put it all over my boombox. Fred um, Durst, Emma? In my room. Fred Durst? I really liked his backwards baseball cap. Oh, my God. Fred Durst is the one that you remember? <laughs> Emma! <laughs> oh, right, right. I had a lot to figure out. <laughs> I was only 10. Don't be so hard. Whoa. Millennials, Millennials in, the in the news. In the news. And I'm so glad you brought the article that you did because um, someone else mentioned this article to me. Oh, neat. 
Well, it was yeah. like one of the only ones that actually seemed to think about the the consequences of it. So, um, I'll I'll maybe set it up, Emma. Does that sound okay? Mm-hmm. Okay. So this week, um, or in the last couple of weeks, there have been tons of articles because this University of Maryland sociology professor Philip Cohen came out with a study that found that. Overall, the divorce rate has declined 18% from like 2009 to 2016 or something like that. Um, Mm -hmm. So millennials, they're not getting divorced. And while that seems and has been translated into either like a, well, isn't this great for relationships? Or like, this is another thing millennials have killed. Um, There are actually some really serious signs of what that that might be the cause or like what might be causing it um so if you will allow me i may read a little bit of of the article go for it okay so while the increasing longevity of millennial marriages should be a bright spot in an otherwise dismal slate of statistics about the generation beleaguered by debt the underlying factors caused the divorce rate to plummet paint another picture one where this, a stable family life is becoming increasingly elusive for the poor and less educated. Cohen writes that plunging divorce rates for millennials can partially be explained by the increasingly selective nature of marriage and the greater stability of the couples who persist through the cohabitation and enter marital unions at high levels of economic interdependence, which, this is Grace speaking, which is to say that like marriage is reserved for those who are financially stable and people put off marriage until they have that stability. So the fact that people aren't getting married is actually a sign of widespread financial instability. And then the last thing that I'll say is uh, read from the article is that Cohen um, projects a future in which marriage is rarer and more stable than it was in the past, representing an increasingly central component of the structure of social inequality. (laughs) which is just terrible, right? Like, I, I just yeah. appreciated that this article actually took the time to think of, like, what does this mean? And and appreciate Cohen's effort to um, really untangle the context of this. So mm-hmm. so what was it like when you were, when you heard um, from a friend about this article? And... Oh, I was actually just sitting at work and someone just read the headline. Oh, gotcha. And I was like, oh, say it again. <laughs> but then we did have a whole conversation about it. And I think, I mean, my interpretation was really about, like, observational trends. Like, mm-hmm. um, how generations observe what the generation above you does. But mm-hmm. I think that that's, that's really my interpretation. And I think that that doesn't necessarily get at the heart of this. I think there's, like, I think... I do think that one of the things that I'm really nervous about right mm-hmm. now, um, this might seem really unrelated, but I swear I have a point. I'm reading that book called Evicted that came out recently. Yes. Do you know about this book? Yes, I've read have it. Have you read it? Yep. Yeah. Oh, you read it. Okay, great. So I think one of the most piercing points that I'm sort of discovering within it is like, is really how society's structures have changed in really kind of radical ways that are kind of that are really subverted Mm -hmm. um specifically like ideas about 
um, housing policies, interconnected with union policies, interconnected with worker policies, interconnected with globalization, interconnected with um, just sort of like all the kind of small intricacies of of public life yeah. um, and, and, and how kind of like with increasing privatization and with the increase of like deregulation and the influence of the private sector, um, kind of those like small protective barriers that we like don't really even see as guardrails, mm. especially when you're not directly affected by them, how they, how taking away those guardrails can have like a domino effect on the way that people live their lives. So like, yeah. just thinking about, you know, all those small, um, small policies that seemingly don't feel very important in the moment, but how, when you like, start dismantling them the whole house of cards comes down yeah and it makes me think about how like with marriage like policies are written to support heteronormative marriage Mm -hmm. and those policies um are really not going to be responsive to the people it seems because we know that for a lot of folks in control okay and now i'm kind of going all over the place no, I like but it. <laughs> I think what I'm saying is, like, our systems and structures are, in general, not thinking about protecting people and supporting vulnerable populations and mm-hmm. are actually more and more just upholding certain narratives and, and are moving away from thinking about how do we protect the most vulnerable. And right. not that single people are vulnerable, but... In today's, today's society, they are. Like, no, and... Working, yeah, 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 that, like your marital status isn't even what's it like what's the relevant data here like the issue is that like these patterns in behavior are because a lot of individuals on their own are struggling financially and like there was this this um universality to marriage beyond like irrelevant of um socioeconomic background in the in the past and so we should be concerned at what it signals that like it's not even about like oh people are you know there's more single people or something like that but it's really a matter of people feel so stressed to be able to support themselves that it can be financially unfathomable to um consider being financially responsible for others as well yeah and i think like we exist with systems that don't work to benefit people yes like i'm thinking about so like i just started working at this mortgage company and i've learned so much about the home buying process and just about what it takes to to buy as to buy a you know, a home and, and everything like that. And like, you're at such a disadvantage if you don't have a co-bar order, because mm. when you're getting assessed for, for, um, a loan, if you're, if there's anything that is sort of like discrepancy in your income, if you've changed jobs, um, if you don't have a history of employment with the same employer, or if there's any sort of like gap in your employment, mm-hmm. um, if you have a co-borrower, then that sort of like relieves the pressure on just looking at your income and your income only, and you're you're a lower risk apparently if you 
you have a co-borrower. Mm. Which, like, makes sense. Like, if one person in a partnership loses their job, right. then you still have someone else. But it also works against people who are trying to buy homes by themselves. Right. And that's one example of just sort of how the rules are written to benefit partnerships. Um, legal partnerships, and, you know, I guess technically you don't have to be legally married as a co-borrower, but, you know, you're entering into a contract together. Right, right, um, right. So, yeah, I think, I think we're, I think that I'm optimistic in a lot of ways about people staying single for longer, mm-hmm. and people sort of, like, um, I don't think marriage is necessarily... I think the denormalization of marriage can be a positive thing, yes. but if our society doesn't rewrite the rules to make it more norms and make it something that we also support people in, then we're going to set people up for failure. Right. And I, and, and I, I completely agree. Um, and I also think that it, it is a sign of the importance of some of these narratives around the millennial generation that like, it's all well and good to you know joke about avocado toast but there really is um there really should be concern and thought and action around just the increasing barriers to opportunity um because of the limitations of of folks socioeconomic stability right now um right in our generation Yeah, let's do TVT. TVT! Emma, you what's... go first. Oh, I was going to offer you the first slot. Oh, cool. Thanks. Yeah. Um, okay. I went to... I was in New York recently, which was part of the reason why our scheduling got all funky, funky. But as part of it, I got to see a bunch of people that I haven't seen in a while, um, which was really exciting. One of those people my friend Andrew, who took me to a monster spin class. Uh-huh. Have you heard of this? No. Do you know about this? No. Okay. Well, first of all, I'm not a big spin gal. I will say I see the Soul Cycle appeal, but we can save that conversation <laughs> for another time. Yeah, we're going to um, we're gonna have to talk more about that. Okay. Put a pin in it, <laughs> as they say. Um, and this monster Soul Cycle is like, no, not Soul Cycle. No. Monster Cycle, Monster Spin, I don't know. The theme is kind of like, they definitely, speaking of branding, they definitely like have a theme and they stick to it. Um, and sort of their shtick is that they play music videos while you spin. Mm-hmm. It's it's interesting. I'm not, I'm not quite sure. Jerry's still out. We can have another conversation about that. But basically, I was watching all these music videos. One of the music videos that they played while we were spinning was Sum 41. <gasps> The point is not that Sum 41, although we can definitely talk about Sum 41. I was so excited to see it. Um, But what was really standing out to me was their Dickies shorts. Ooh. Like Dickies work pants shorts. Yes. And then that reminded me of when Dickies were really popular, Uh which in my frame of reference was when I was probably a freshman and a sophomore in high school, so 2002 to 2003-ish. Yes. Which was about the time that this, that this Sum 41, um, that their first album came out. Yeah. 
And apparently, Dickies are becoming cool again, <gasps> which is really exciting. Yeah. And there's sort of like a rejection of the skinny jean. Mm. But it seems like they've, they um, are going to potentially be something that is shared as a trend both by millennials and Gen Z. <gasps> because none other than our, my fave, Jaden Smith, is walking around in a pair of embroidered dickies. Oh my gosh. Um, and I'm just super into them. Wow. And I'm ready to bring them back. I mean, they're already being brought back. I'm not going to be single-handedly responsible, but I'm ready for me to bring them back into my wardrobe. Currently Google image searching Jaden Smith Dickies, and uh, I'm impressed. Right? Yep. Yeah. I love it. it. Love it. Love that it's coming Um, back. Love a TBT that's, that's, you know, losing its TB. (laughs) It's just a T. I guess that sounds like tuberculosis. Also sounds like a tea company. Ooh. Um, um, go for it. Awesome. Thank you for that. That was gorgeous. Um, mine is a throwback to, well, this weekend I wore this shirt that my mom gave me uh, with the Spice Girls on it. Hell and yeah. it translated, it was for a friend's birthday, and then we ended up, like, we were in Dolores Park and ended up listening to some Spice Girls, and it really reminded me of that time um and it's so funny that we talked about stickers today because a part of my throwback has to do with stickers related to the spice girls did you emma shane uh ever have spice girl lollipops no my god no okay so i wish i did they were they so they sold them at the bodega And they were like this pink lollipop. It's like half white, half pink. And in the lollipop like wrapper, it came with a sticker of of either one of them or like multiple of them, like a little tiny sticker. And so my door as a kid had like this long line that I taped a bunch of these Spice Girl stickers from the lollipop to my door. And um, I think that there's something very special about the, like, treat that comes with a physical surprise, like a physical reminder of that treat. And it was particularly delicious because of its association with the band that I love so much. Yeah. So I want to, I'm wondering, like, I wonder where, like, Spice Girl lollipops were. Why weren't they here? In the East Bay. I mean, they might have been, but, like, you know, I had limited access. Got it. I wasn't, I wasn't fully, I wasn't fully, they might, yeah, they might have been. This is where, they might have been even Chupa Chups. Like, they, it's not like they were a, like, a special brand. I mean, they were special, but, um, they weren't, like, I mean, that, sorry. No. That sounds exciting, and it reminds me of, like, just, I think, you know, it reminds me of, like, the sticker machines at the grocery store. Those definitely had, had uh, Spice Girls in them. But I don't know about the lollipops. They probably were. 
probably just miss them. I wonder if there's how much. I feel very conf. Oh, yep. On eBay, you can buy vintage <laughs> 1997 Spice World Spice World Chupa Chups fantasy ball lollipop set of 24. Listeners, oh. if you're looking for a Christmas or <laughs> a birthday or Christmas present for me, that or just a set of 98 Spice Girl stickers from the lollipops, you can also buy. Nice. Yeah. So that's my that's my TV. Me, I feel really um I feel really sad for myself. Yeah. That I never had a Spice Girls lollipop that I remember. I'm sad for you too. But you know what? I'm sure that there were many ways that you celebrated your love for the iconic group. <laughs> sure did. Well thanks so much, Emma. Thanks, Gracie. And thank what you a, all for listening. Thank you everyone. What a good way to lift myself up on a Wednesday. Same not that here. I'm not like lifted, just like needed this in my life. Are you lifted, gifted, higher than the ceiling? Ooh. Wait, what is it? Ooh, it's an ultimate feeling. Got it? Lifted, ceiling, so did it. Sugar, how you get so fly. Thank you all. Thanks, and thanks, thanks, Emma. Everyone. See thanks, you all everyone. in a fortnight.